1: I also work with gender-questioning teenagers, and I facilitate support meetings for families and individuals who have been impacted by gender issues.
0: We're curious about the concept of gender and how it's unfolding in the wider culture.
1: Join us as we look at gender through a wider lens.
0: Aaron Terrell is a transgender man from the United States who transitioned in 2011 at the age of 27. He's a founding member of the Gender Dysphoria Alliance and is a co-host of the organization's podcast, which is called Transparency. The organization and podcast both seek to educate about gender dysphoria from the perspectives of those who experience it, but without the sacred or fundamentalist tones that are often applied to the topic of transition. In recent years, Aaron has become curious about the factors that contribute to female dysphoria and the desire to transition, and he's especially interested in transition as a cultural phenomenon. Here's our conversation with Aaron. Hi, Stella. How are you today? Hi, Sasha. I'm, I'm,
1: I've been better, but <laughs> I, I'm, 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 I'm still, still standing and I'm, uh, I'm very excited about our guest today
0: should be very
2: Hi, interesting conversation. Yes. Hello, hello Hi, Sasha, hello Aaron. Stella. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you, Erin, for joining us. Well, thank you for coming. So, um we we have been kind of interacting a little bit online. I've been following you on Twitter for some time, um, and I assume you have as well, Stella, and we're just really thrilled to have you here, um because you've been talking a lot about your experiences as a, a trans person, you transitioned as an adult. And you've really um, called attention to a lot of the problems you see going on with childhood dysphoria and how that's being treated and conceptualized. So we're just really grateful to have your perspective here today. Um, so could you maybe start off for any listeners who aren't familiar with your experiences and your story? Can you just start off by telling us a little bit about um, your experience with dysphoria and transition?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um yeah, so I transitioned in 2011. I was 27 years old. So, um, an adult, young adult, but certainly a, you know, past the age of 25, right? That's the, the concerning bit. Um, but, um, I, I had dysphoria, what, what I would now call dysphoria, um, from as long as I can remember, just this this nagging, um, uh, just real discomfort with having been a girl and feeling like I was supposed to be a boy. Um, it's very similar to what Stella has described in her own past, except mine wasn't even that bad. Honestly, the only difference is, is as I got older, it got worse rather than relenting. Um, but as a child, it was it was like something that I could that it, it was it was upsetting and frustrating and confusing. Um, but but it wasn't. Um, it didn't it didn't cause any any serious serious um mental mental turmoil for me I'll, I'll, i guess i guess I don't have much to compare it with um but Anyway, and I always assumed I would outgrow it. Um, I just assumed, you know, by puberty, that's kind of what I latched onto was, at puberty, I would, um, uh, you know, my body would develop in such a way that I could no longer pretend I was a boy. You know, it would it would become inescapable. And um, and you, you hear all this. I grew up in a very conservative Christian environment, and there was very strict gender roles, and it, it was really kind of kind of put into my brain that. Uh, you know puberty would make me into a woman like like that's it's really like this kind of sacred um, stage of development and I I, I actually believe that like I believe that for that reason puberty would take away that that um, that that should have been a boy kind of feeling. It didn't. And then another thing is it it, it, um, actually set in quite late. So I didn't experience puberty, um, start menstruating or anything like that until I was uh, 14. And at which point I assumed, or because because it took so long to get there, I kept thinking I was right all along. I'm not actually really a girl. Um, The longer it got away, you know, the the more it was cemented. Um, But then, yeah, obviously it did happen. It didn't, take away those feelings and they only got worse and then the older I got the more embarrassing it was that I was still kind of retreating to be alone to kind of live out this fantasy of being you know not of being male like um uh it it was it's hard to explain because it, it felt very um very childish very um secret life of Walter Mitty just you know living in my head you know more than in reality where I could be male um But yeah, and then so twenty seven, I encountered um, the 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 possibility of transition. You know, in that case, it does have a lot of overlap with rapid onset gender dysphoria, is that I I could always live my life and compartmentalize it until I encountered, whoa, this is here, this is available. It's not that difficult. This is all I have to do. This step, this step, this step, and um, at that point, it was it was a, a absolute compulsion, not a compulsion, a, an obsession. Like I couldn't compartmentalize it. This is what I must do. Um, and, um, and yeah, I did it and I transitioned. It was a pretty, uh, pretty immediate success. Dysphoria feel- feelings went away. Um, pretty much, um, well, immediately after top surgery, um, I had so much contentment and, and, uh, comp- like just, just this, this, profound discomfort i always lived with which i couldn't really ever imagine not living with was was gone um and so obviously testosterone helped a bit but those two things compound those two things put together um it's why um i'm kind of kind of rambling here but but i feel like it's important to to point out that like i while while at this point i don't believe that that Transitioning to appear as the opposite sex is an appropriate solution for a mental health issue. Um, it did it did basically eradicate my dysphoria about ninety five percent, and um, and. Yeah, and I was able to live my life quite successfully, um, as a man. Um, uh, I went back to school and got a bachelor's degree. I, I'd, I'd only finished an AI prior and then, um, just sort of lived my life, um, as, as male until about, uh, so that was about, about five years, I want to say, uh, that I was, that I was doing that. Um, and then back in 2017 is kind of when I clued into, um, the, the massive boom in transitioning and just in a, in a, kind of a, a cultural understanding of transition as like this, this certain type of person is a trans person. And that, and that I kind of took offense to is like, no, I'm just a man. I, you know, I was always meant to be a man. I now am a man. And you're telling me that I'm just this, this, this part of this subgroup, this queer cool thing. And I was, I was kind of offended by that. Um And then, but yeah. And then, so the more I looked into kind of the cultural shift, I realized, wow, dysphoria isn't one thing. What I've experienced and all these other people have experienced that led them to this place is very different depending on who you're talking to. And it's certainly between males and females. And I just kind of got, got wrapped up in, you know, why do we do this? Where do these feelings come from? And, um, and, and, and yeah, I, um, <laughs> it made me kind of uh, second-guess everything that I had taken for granted for the last, you know, five, six years.
1: Could I ask, that was that was really, it wasn't rambling, it was fascinating, it really mm-hmm. was. Um, you, you When did you discover, you said you transitioned to 2011, when did you discover the concept of transition? You kind of ran over that quickly and I was going to jump in, but I was really interested in what you were saying next, so I didn't.
2: Oh, sure, did yeah. You just, yeah. Well, I mean, I was aware of trans people via things like Jerry Springer and stuff like that in the nineties. Right. But it was like this eccentric, weird third category of person, typically male to female. Um, And it just, it it was like, I'm not that, I was just supposed to be a boy. Like I was supposed to be male. I'm not this third thing. I was
1: the exact same. Yeah. Okay. I'm not, I'm (laughs) not, I'm not one of that. No way. That was never even an option in my brain. It was like, no, that's Jerry Springer, but I should have been a boy. Right yeah right, yeah very clear yep. yeah okay, and cool. when did yeah. you discover you discovered the idea of co- transition as an easy concept, I think you said two thousand and ten or something I'm not sure what year you yeah, said i think that.
2: it was I think it was two thousand and ten it was two thousand and eleven that I started uh testosterone, um but it I think it was in two thousand and eleven was when i um uh, there was a co somebody had started working at this my same office who was um, who, who I kind of clocked as as a female to male transitioner and it was like this this is something in my real life like this is somebody who lives in the same city as me um, uh, y- like it, he's got a job you know found out later he had a fiance and like it was like this is this is a real ten and really? so I started looking online you know it's like you know transitioning um, and whatnot and realized how. How easy it was, um, and how accessible it was. I, um, it, yeah, yeah. It just it was, so it was around 2010 because again, until that point, it just seemed like such a foreign concept that that really could never be plausible to me. And then also, I would be this third thing in in that. Me too. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: And then 2017, if I'm right, you kind of said, "Oh wait, there's a whole thing going on here." So, you, you were out, you weren't in that world at all. really no. You were just doing your own thing.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, so around 2010, 2011, I kind of got enmeshed in the, in the forums and stuff like that, seeking out resources for transition and whatnot, and, you know, defended a few other female to male transitioners, you know, across the, across the globe. Uh, but mostly it was like, kind of like sharing experiences and resources and advice and stuff. And then, um, but then once I, once I transitioned, I kind of put it all behind me. I didn't think that much about it and I didn't spend much time in online communities for trans people. I certainly didn't think that there were other trans people other than that one guy that I, that I previously worked with, um, who he and I were, you know, we remained we didn't spend much time together but maintained a certain you know uh, facebook era you know style friendship but um but i didn't really think that there were many trans people around me and then in 2017 um i actually met and started well i, I met and befriended a few trans men or one trans man who introduced me to a whole bunch of others in the city because this is a college town so now that i know of the boom it seems obvious that there were you know it's a very liberal you know college college city but it just seemed kind of, uh, just, it, it didn't occur to me that there were other, um, uh, trans men in my city. Um, so I befriended him, met a few others in that same social circle. Um, and so at first it was like really cool. Like the, these are, these are people that I can have, you know, really intense, you know, um, you know, really, um, you know, very shared circumstances, experiences, you know, and I was very, um, excited about it at first. And then they were just, everything, was about trans for them. Everything. Um, everything was about, you know, pronouns and who's cis and who's, you know, b- what it was just very, uh, everything was about being, and it made me really uncomfortable. And, um, and th- there was also talking about, you know, when I talk about, you know, like, oh, what was dysphoria like for you or how did you know, transition fix it? And they're like, well, I never had dysphoria. And I'm like, well, then why did you transition? And the, and the actual response I got was so people would know I'm trans like, really, really, like, of course, that's why, you know, I would transition. And I was like, this is, and this was a 25-year-old person. This is not, um, this is not a, a kid. And, um, and, and I got, and, and so I was, you know, my initial reaction was kind of alarm and being offended by it. And then, but then, so the more people I spoke to in that same social circle, it was the exact same understanding. Um, and, and I was the weird one for pathologizing, uh, transness. And so, and I'd never heard that term before, transness. I heard that too. And so I, I went online and I started looking, um, looking about, you know, just like kind of reimmersed myself in online trans communities. And I realized I was the weird one. These, this is the normal way of conceptualizing this right now. And, and I couldn't be offended. Like, there's no way to be offended by that when you see it. It's like this, this is, um, this is colossally, like, this is uh, bad, bad territory we are in right now. So
0: that's so interesting because like um, prior to 2017, you were just kind of like doing your own thing, existing in your own bubble in a way. Yeah. I had all my um, same
2: normie uh, friends that I had, you know, pre-transition. Yeah. Like, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't something I was, uh, was aware of. Yeah.
0: And so you probably, like you said, initially, you thought, oh, meeting all these trans guys, this is going to be so cool, because we're going to have so many shared experiences. And you discovered actually that they all had a lot of similarities in the way they conceptualize their bodies, their identity, what it means to be trans, what dysphoria, whether it's necessary or not. And then you were all of a sudden the outlier. And I find that really interesting. It's like almost a parallel of what you probably felt as a kid with your dysphoria, feeling like I'm an outlier. Why do I feel these things? And then you find yourself amongst who you imagine to be like a peer group. And you're like, what? I don't fit in here at all.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I I wouldn't have drawn that parallel, but but you're right. Yeah. It's actually correct. Yes. Yes.
0: I want to ask you about your childhood. I mean, you described these really complex feelings about your body and, um, You you said it was similar to Stella's. And I know in Stella's story, everybody around knew how Stella felt, especially as a child, because she announced it all the time. Did people in your life, parents, adults, kids at school, did they realize that you were having this struggle or was this very internal and personal? Because you talked about like... Once you got your period, you'd still kind of wanted to hide away and try to live out this fantasy and you don't even admonished yourself a little bit for what you called like childlike. But I'm wondering, was this just a personal internal struggle or was this pretty obvious to anyone who knew you?
2: I, I wonder how obvious it was. I, so so I, I definitely kept it to myself. I didn't tell anyone. Um, I was very ashamed of it from as early as I could remember because I, I remember so so, like, Stella's upbringing, it sounds like, sh- you know, she was allowed to just be, be really, um, really, you know, just, just behave like a boy and even kind of express really that she was. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah I, and, I mean, I was, yeah. to an extent, it was, it was like, allowed to, to be, to, to play, like, you know, I was always playing, you know, you know, cowboys, and and uh, just being, just, my, my friends were all boys, you know, I had an older brother, having an older brother, I wonder how much, if that's kind of the root, it it's like, I was mirroring him, maybe that's where some of the dysphoria set in, I've wondered, but, um, uh, me but, too, so I had were, an
1: older brother, yeah.
2: yeah I, see, yeah, I wonder, yeah, I wonder yeah, if there yeah. is, like, a connection <laughs> of, like, of mirroring, that, that's, yeah, but, um, I didn't, there were things that I'd done from a very early age, like my brother telling me I only learned about this a few years ago that I used to insist on peeing standing up, and then I would pee all down in my pants, obviously and um there were things that I did that were like external clues, I guess, but i i wasn't I wasn't telling anybody about it um, like um. So, so there were, I, I'm having m- many conversations with my mom where she's saying, you're a girl. This is how girls behave. This is how girls dress. God made you a girl. God doesn't make mistakes. And so I don't know what things I was saying or doing that led to those conversations. I just remember having a lot of those conversations and feeling very ashamed. Um, um. and then, and kind of like retreated, re- like, um, yeah, retreating and just being, being alone where, like, there, I was, again, when I was, when I was playing with the boys, I, I imagined I was one of them. Like, I was just one of the boys. Until there were things that happened where it would knock me back. It's like, no, you're really a girl. Um, and that's where, um, yeah, the, the kind of dissonance comes in, I guess. Um, and so the older I got, the more, the, the less I could just be one of the boys and the more kind of isolation.
0: Um, Yeah, that was like kind of my my follow up question, because you talked about how in, in your family of origin, there was like really rigid gender roles, and it was a very religious community. So you know, whenever I meet individuals who have experienced some kind of distress around gender, and they grew up in really restrictive gender role environments, that's always something that comes up in my mind. Like, I always get curious, had you been fully just affirmed for however you chose to be. Now, obviously, if you insisted that you were a boy or thought you were a boy, you probably would have been, like, corrected through, you know, the avenues of adult interaction. But had you not had that rigid type of expectation around what girls are supposed to do and what girls are supposed to like, I do wonder if that would have lessened your dysphoria. Like, sometimes I wonder if dysphoria is a product of both the sex dysphoria and also the kind of gender role imposition.
2: I, I, I definitely think you're right. I, I think um, for me, when it, when something becomes shameful, it becomes, a, you know, a secret and it kind of solidifies. And it's, and so I think, I think that kind of enmeshes it or enmeshed it into my brain. But um, I, th- what I think also happens is when you say like, so, so, that that kind of internal dysphoria that's more like um like a oh, I should have been this way it doesn't exist as sex dysphoria initially i think I think it it becomes sex dysphoria when when your body is like is is a constant reflection of what um it's like it's it's a contradiction you know your body's just contradicting what what you believe should be reflected, and that becomes dysphoria at the sexed body, whereas I don't think it would be if if you weren't being told that you know having this body means you should feel this way and do this thing. Um, yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, that's a huge distinction. So you're, mm-hmm. you're kind of saying that it's the pairing of female body means you should have this personality that actually exacerbates and creates this kind of dis- disconnection with the biological sex in your case.
2: Uh, yes, I believe so. Yes. Yeah.
0: That's really interesting. Okay. So, so you you fast forward to 2017 and and you realize that a lot of these kind of contemporary trans men have a really different experience and perspective. And I've heard you in other conversations talk about the parallel between like your religious upbringing and some of the current beliefs inside of trans ideology and trans activism. Can you touch on that
2: a little bit? Well, it's, it's, it's so culturally constructed is what, is what, um, what I see. There's, there's norms of behaviors and there's, um, um, so in my upbringing, you know, you, we could talk about anything that wasn't, you didn't, you didn't question the word of God. That just is, right? And you, you couldn't, so there was, you know, I understood from a very young age basically what blasphemy was, and I was very conscious of of not committing it. Right, um, very much like even in your own head, because God can hear it, God can uh, detect it. Um, but but in so so when I got reimmersed, you know, I became an atheist um, in my early twenties, right, and um, was you know very Christopher Hitchens style atheist. <laughs> you know, really kind of um, you know, though this is actually very very detrimental. Um, um, and then and then I sort of kind of, kind of got, I think just sort of culturally, um, got wrapped up in a bit of the, of the trans stuff before, um, before it was really in my face with other people. Cause like when you're in that environment, there is, there are things that you don't, you don't you don't, you don't commit bl- the, blasph- the blasphemy of misgendering. You don't, um, there, there are these, these kind of these, these rules that are very, very clearly, um, akin to 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 religion especially this notion that there's there's basically um an extreme there's there's righteousness in ignoring what you see with your own eyes like Ooh. there's 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 righteousness That's in believing faith. yeah what is contradictory to what what you're seeing um and so like the more um you know so if you got a lumberjack who goes by they them it's like the, the quicker you can get on board the purer you are you know yeah um,
1: that that's a, that was big in Ireland. And somebody would say, oh, they have great faith. And it basically meant uh, they could believe black is white. That's how great yes. their faith was. They've great faith. So did you see, sorry, but did you see parallels with that or were you very comfortable in that? Do you, do you understand? Did you think this is like my religious upbringing or did you think, Oh, I know these waters and I'm actually very comfortable and yes, Yes. On. The
2: latter actually. Oh. Um, so, <laughs> so, so quite subconsciously though, right. I didn't, yeah, I didn't identify totally. it as such. Yeah, right. I just, yeah. just like you, you kind of go, Oh yeah, I can demonstrate how, how, how good I am and how on board I am with, you know um, which what I've now kind of come to realize is basically queer theory framework of understanding, you know, people and um, but, uh, so it was very easy to to kind of just just knee jerk go oh yeah you know she's you know a male who rides Harley Davidsons and has a wife but that is totally a lesbian you know like saying something like that felt like a like a, uh yeah it, it just felt like an, a a demonstration of moral purity. Um, that, that you totally get it. Um, but it was Ooh. all very abstract. In, in, sorry, can mm-hmm. I
0: also say that it also means you're like somehow above your instincts.
2: Yes. Yes. Which is you're
0: common to both my- religion and this kind of trans you, thing.
1: Yeah. And you're, you're, you're transcendent. Like you're, yes, you've got the faith. Yes. you've got, you don't even need physical
2: evidence. You're way beyond that. I think what it is, is we have this, we have this instinct to kind of elevate ourselves above the rest of the mammal kingdom. And like, so if we're not tied to, to like the, the rest of the rules that govern animal life, you know, it's, we are, we are now with the saints. And I think religion does that. And now this latest religion of gender certainly does that. Uh, it separates us from, yeah, from biological life.
0: Okay. So keep going. So you were saying, you know, you, you, you felt comfortable demonstrating your quick ability to get on board, to, uh, to recognize the pronouns and the identity and, and then what? Keep going.
2: Well, so part of why that felt so comfortable is because I knew what I had always felt and I knew what was now called gender dysphoria. And I knew that transition Drastically fixed it, so I was very gung ho. Um, just like if you believe that that somebody's somebody's, you know, soul can live forever in heaven if you abide by these certain rules, and you know. <laughs> there's that kind of parallel as well where it's, it's like, this is a solution. This is, so it's not just falling into the, the culture of it, the religious culture of it, but it is like, it very much felt like this saved me, you know, mm-hmm. uh, just like, mm-hmm. um, yeah, just like religion say, you know, um, but so, it so, where I was initially coming from is I assumed gender dysphoria was one thing, whether this was a, you know, a 45 year old man or male or a, you know, 13 year old girl. I thought they all had the same experience that I did. Um, I thought, I thought that when we say dysphoria, we all meant one thing, or even if we say trans, we all meant one thing. Um, and then when I started, it took meeting people in real life and spending time with them and understanding that, no, we don't all mean the same thing when we say dysphoria. And oftentimes, trans doesn't even mean, uh, you know, when I say dysphoria, I mean uh, like a deep discomfort with one's natal sex. Let's say that, right? Um, so I assumed that that was a uh, a common experience, and and all we have to do societally to relieve that is to is to, um, you know, respect pronouns and yada, yada. And it seemed like such a small imposition for how much relief it had provided me. Right. Mm -hmm, Um, and so I wanted to provide that to anyone else as well. Um, and yeah, and so it was about 2017 is when I started realizing this, this is not all one thing. And, and, um, when, when you also kind of, just like when you snap out of a religion, you can kind of see the harmful behaviors therein. Um, so the same thing when I kind of got jerked out of the, the genderology stuff is like you see you see the great harm that's being done, especially when we're talking about um, uh, teenagers, teenage girls, and and the the immense just just how physically invasive the 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 response to this. What I've come to like identify as kind of like a like a religious subculture is trans. That that you know everybody on the on the clinical side of it is treating it like you know just any other medical. Con- well, not even that. It's it's all been swept up in this weird culty stuff. But um um I don't know where I was going with that. So much is like when when you kind of when you kind of snap out of it and see that this isn't just just solving a deep hurt in people, um, and making their lives easier. But really these people are making their lives much more difficult as a means of like, like a temporary state of the need for personal differentiation. Um, and, and it just, when you, when you, when you finally clue in and see that you can't not see it. And I couldn't not be quiet about it.
1: But yeah. you, you've you jumped ahead because, uh, yeah. you, you know, yeah, because you were, you were right in the faith there. So could oh, yeah. you tell me, how did you get ju- jerked out if you follow me? Because you were right in there and you were kind of the best Christian for, for a little while.
2: Yeah. Um, it was, well, so I guess it wasn't that big of a part of my life. Like, um, so I believed it, you know, I, I believed the whole gender stuff. Um, but it wasn't something I was enmeshed in. Right. Cause like, I, I was doing a, a degree in geography. It wasn't like a, you know, a, um, a very, this, so this was in, let's say 2011 to 2016, right? So there wasn't, the gender stuff hadn't really um, enmeshed in the culture like it has now. I mean, it was there, but it was quite French. And so I wasn't really interacting with it on a day to day basis. Um, so, So it was just when I would go on these forums or these, you know, it was like I would be right there with the people who I saw as as living the same life as me and wanting to support them, and you know, when we abide by these rules, in you know, and provide each other with support and whatnot. In in the very again, it wasn't even all that often that I was in these in these virtual spaces, Um, but so I guess. It was when it was when I was enmeshed in it in real life when I met those those young trans men mm. in my city that I realized that's what snapped me out of it like i don't i it was very it wasn't like I, I I was in lockstep with them for a little while. It was like when I was presented with this in real life is when I realized how how not how, how-
1: was there was there a moment or anything was there a day or was there an event or anything that made you think, hang on what am i
2: I think it was that that when so so there was stuff stuff that I kind of like just glossed over like this is just a cultural misunderstanding this is just a new new way of framing that I don't really understand but it was that moment when um, when I was talking about uh, because that 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 trans men that I befriended that I mentioned. uh, he had had top surgery, and and I remember I was explaining to him how um, just taking just taking for granted the fact that he had felt about his chest the way I had felt about mine, and so I was saying, you know how how abhorrent they felt on me, and how like I was always mentally sound, but they were getting to points where it's like I was like contemplating like not not seriously logically but like thoughts of self mutilation. It's like this this will rid me of this, um, but I obviously I, I was. Not going to do. I knew that I would bleed to death and die. Mm-hmm. Or like it wasn't mm-hmm, really something mm-hmm. I was consciously entertaining. Yeah, yeah. But it was like that's where your brain goes with that discomfort. Um, and I remember talking to him about that, and he's and he sounded completely disgusted, like to- just 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 abho- ab- abhorred by the thought. And I was like, well, "What did it feel like for you, like dysphoria?" Right? And he was like, "Well, I never had any problem with my chest." And I was like, "Well, then why did you why did you have top surgery?" And he said, "So people would know I am trans uh, in that in that way." And that was when it was just like holy, this is um, this is other territory. So, I, I mean, now, wow. obviously, I've, I've yeah. kind of slapped out of it, and I think back, and I was like, you know, not, not only do, like, I wonder, obviously, I, large scale is like treating dysphoria, a mental discomfort with one's body, with irreversible surgeries. Ethically, I don't think that's correct. I, that's, the, that's the kind of shaky ground I'm on here, though, is I know, for whatever reason, it worked. For me, it relieved that distress, but I feel like there should have been there should have been other ways around that, right? Um, again, I'm not talking about like malpractice at all. I'm I'm, not, I'm not happy with where I'm at, but now ethically, I feel like we really shouldn't get to that point where we are, you know, physically altering people's bodies in the direction of the opposite sex to relieve that dysphoria. But that was not that's not where I was at when I was having these conversations, and what I heard was was like an appropriation of just the of the gravest sort but then also with catastrophic ramifications you know we talk a lot about cultural appropriation uh, or appropriation of any kind and i and i think like um, usually that's harming the the culture of the person it's being appropriated from but this is very much the opposite the people who are who are like i said transitioning to be trans is like i can't be offended by that because they are they are doing like severe harm is being done to what are otherwise just kids looking for not kids. And a lot of times these are young adults and actually adult adults who are looking for kind of a, a culture, you know, a culture to belong to a kind of a certain, like, like, um, I think so much of this is loneliness. I keep going back to back to that. The same thing that drives people to religions is driving people, you know, to cults and whatnot is like this need for community, and a sense of belonging, a sense of personhood, um, that's both distinct and collective. And this provides that. And, and Yeah,
1: I, I think you're yeah. right. It's a post religion age yeah. we're in, and there's been so much anxiety and so much kind of clinging on to things. It feels very much part of it.
2: Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, what really stands out is that when you decided to embark on the transition process, it was literally the sole purpose of transition was an attempt at a solution for a real problem you had. Whereas you started to meet people who were transitioning almost as a rites of passage into a kind of club. And that is... It is, a, it, it is kind of a creepy, like I'm thinking of like a step for wives kind of situation where you like end up somewhere and you realize, holy crap, like everybody here has taken the same vows, has like pledged to do the same things to their bodies. They're, like there's something really group conformist about how you started to meet people and hear everybody's stories and you realize there's something vastly different about your experience and how you ended up transitioning versus these other individuals, and why they decided right. to transition right.
2: and then and then and it wasn't so if, again at first, I thought that that was just a um that this was just a niche group of people I happened upon um, and <laughs> the then when I went on, guys mm. <laughs> and then when I went online and realized it was pretty um pervasive uh
1: as wow. well as i
2: couldn't I couldn't keep quiet I had to um yeah start start talking about this stuff, you know.
0: So then what happened? Did you just say I'm going to make an online account and start writing or or uh, what ha- how did you kind of get into the whole world of like heterodox views? And then of course I want to talk about your Substack and your podcast, but you you went from being kind of shocked by what you were hearing to launching yourself somehow into these discussions so on, how did on that Twitter. I,
2: well, first I heard um I realized this. This was kind of all around me in every trans circle I went into, um, and and then I, I was I got on Twitter. Um, and, uh, I happened upon, uh, Buck Angel, uh, being interviewed on a podcast called Transbra, which was hosted by my now friend, Mars Fernandez. And, uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh I'm sure you guys are all familiar with you. And, uh, and his, and as also his friend Alec, um, uh, at, at the time. And they were having these conversations that I was like, Oh, okay. So, so there is, there is some, there's still some people who, who see this the way that I do is like a breath of fresh air, kind of, kind of sanity. Um, and then so I kind of got enmeshed in, in the, the gender critical, uh, trans kind of conversation on Twitter. Um, uh, the subset came a while later. Uh, mostly I was just sort of talking and listening and I didn't really expect to, to have any sort of platform. I was just kind of, um, just kind of ex- speaking my mind and, um, and wanting to be kind of part of the conversation that was, um, that was kind of shedding light on this stuff. And then the more time I spent, you know, and I, again, I was kind of at coming from this, from that like true scum type, you know, I still believe that there was, you know, that I had this real thing that was gender dysphoria and that transition is the solution for it. So I still believe that when I first kind of got, got enmeshed in it. And then, um, and then obviously then as, as I'm more exposed to kind of um, uh, uh, like, yeah, gender critical perspectives is when I realized this is not, Sure, we can say gender dysphoria is a real thing, um, but it's more—it's—it's it's like any sort of other anxiety. Or um, I'm kind of rambling. Cause there is there isn't really a, uh, a direct trajectory of of when. Um, I guess there is. I guess when J.K. Rowling wrote that letter, uh, really? you know, turf wars and the and the, and oh, the media wow. response to that—that that I realized like this 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 is. So I thought it was like. Um, like a niche issue that was trans that had been engulfed by this kind of cult-like mind frame. And that's what I was, I thought I was fighting an internal war, you know? And then wow. when we saw the mainstream response yeah. to JK Rowling, um, I, I was like, this, this is, this is mainstream. Like this is, um, wow. this is all, JK all pervasive. JK Rowling. And yeah. What's that?
1: JK Rowling. You couldn't get yeah. more mainstream. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And,
0: yeah. yeah. It's funny because you kept encountering situations where you're like, "Ah, oh, this is a fringe. There's no way this is like bigger than this. And then like you my, kept my, stepping my, it up the ladder and yeah, realizing my guess this is, is you're, huge. You
1: weren't
2: big on social media. That was like kind I, of almost only conclusion here (laughs) no I wasn't I wasn't at all until um yeah until about about 2017 2018 when I kind of got wind of this stuff and that's kind of what my social media has been tailored around ever since um but I wasn't really in social media at the time that the that these that that these arguments first started um I was very much offline um Mm
0: -hmm. so your your views I mean, have obviously evolved a lot. And it's interesting because it's so ironic because you were largely helped by transition. And yet you have also been really forthcoming in like your blog, for example, talking about some of the complicated parts of your life that you now think back on and just wonder about not, not that that negates the helpfulness that transition has offered you, but is it okay if I read something particular from your yeah, substack? Yeah, just a short thing. Okay. So you said from my earliest memories, the wish to be a boy or the self conception of myself as a boy was inextricable from my sense of shame at feeling that way. I began to tell myself stories to explain why I felt the way I did. When I was a toddler, my infant brother died from SIDS. A few years later, I became convinced that his spirit had passed into me. That was why I felt I was a boy. I was carrying my brother's spirit within me. This story also gave me permission to act like a boy because I was doing it for my brother, not for me. I mean, that is a really powerful example of the fact that children, when dealing with grief... Have very complicated reactions and create all kinds of mechanisms to try and deal with their grief or keep their beloved sibling alive. Like this is actually a very common experience of young people who are who are um, bereaved by a baby sibling.
2: See, I didn't know that it was a common experience, but I, I didn't. Um because well, it wasn't really a bereavement for me in that i was i don't have any recollection of him whatsoever um I was eighteen months old when he died and i have no no recollection of him i but he was my my mom was obviously um completely devastated i mean as, as any any you know parent mother would be um and in he was spoken about all the time like he was just sort of a, a, a fixture of the family um and so so i cer i wasn't experiencing any gender issues at you know that age at age you know at eighteen when I was a toddler I didn't even have a concept of him. Just growing up, there was this conversation about my my little brother who died when I was when I was eighteen months old.
0: So maybe it was like an attempt to give your parents. It could, back it could be. It,
2: I, well, I, I've I, worked, I I remember I've being worked. a very selfish yeah. experience, or not a selfish, but a very self self cent like mm-hmm. it was very much me. How do I? Why do I feel this way? Okay, I feel this way because. You know, it was like, I was, I was grasping for an explanation. Um, So I I don't remember having any feelings and they could have been self uh, subconscious, but I don't remember having any feelings of wanting to, wanting to recreate or bring him back for, for my parents. I remember it being very much like just an explanation for myself.
1: Yeah. I remember I've worked with uh, clients with exactly that siblings of, of, Babies, and I've studied quite a lot, and I think it's a a very, very impactful experience for the child. I know it is for the parents, but for the child, for the siblings, I think it's it goes. There's extra. Well, obviously, you're growing up shrouded in grief, but there's extraordinarily often a very big kind of. It's lovely. I can see. I, I I don't know if there's any way around it, but like often. Like you've described, that the, there is a determination to keep the baby alive as such in in all our minds, and that impacts the siblings very differently to the parents. The parents have got the concept of what they're doing. The siblings, I think, are kind of lost in in guilt, survivor guilt of I'm alive and maybe he should have been alive. I don't know, and I need to make sure people are happy because I I don't just an awful lot of complex emotions. And I would say survivor guilt is, is, is the strongest of that, that I think, I think it's a really difficult road for siblings. I really do.
2: It's all, yeah, I, I just remember it being a constant. I don't remember, um, the, like my feelings about it. I remember feeling, like hearing stories about like, that I had reached into his crib and squeezed his hand. And so I remember that be feeling, feeling an element of guilt around that. But I don't, I don't know if that's like my brain kind of trying to funnel the guilt in a certain direction. Um, but
0: You've been very, again, kind of like honest in your your current assessment of, for you, what gender, what your gender dysphoria experiences have meant. And it seems like you've kind of looked back and thought about a lot of different iterations of like, what you think about transition, there was a period of time where you're obviously describing that, hey, this solved my problem for the most part, and it worked really well. And I've also heard you say, I don't think this should be a first line of defense, medically speaking, when people have dysphoria. So can you share, like, how have your views on transition evolved? And does that, does that go in parallel with the fact that the population doesn't all have your same experience that a lot of these young people seem to be just like adopting a belief system? Like I, I, I. I suspect that the more we recognize that, the less we should lean on transition as a first line of defense.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, so the reason the reason why I have been right, talking so kind of you know uh, openly about my own experience is because I feel like this is all being facilitated by a shroud of misunderstanding and and kind of obf- obfuscation around what what dysphoria is or what trans trans is Um, so that's that's the reason behind my my (laughs) my uh, excessive oversharing all the time is is because it's like you know just shed some light here this is not this doesn't have to be a mystery Um, but so yes, yes, you're you're absolutely right in, in that. I, if if I had if I had gone online and encountered everybody mirroring my own experiences back to me, I would have been like, okay, yep, this was exactly what I needed to do. I was right all along. This is the one thing transition is what we should do. Um, but when you yeah, when you hear these very very different experiences, um, and you start to realize this, we're we're treating a a, a broad variety of like social anxieties or body issues um, with one specific invasive solution. And, and we're treating it like it's the, 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 this, this sacred thing. So yes, you're, you're right, Sasha. I think if, if I had encountered everybody saying the same thing that I felt, I would have been like, yep, it was perfectly perfectly correct. Yeah, Would it have
1: been any harm had you transitioned 10 years? What, what would have happened if you transitioned 10 or 15 years earlier? Do you think, you know what I mean? Because I know you're against childhood transition, but I also know that you've transitioned and you feel it, it, it suited you so that, you know, the elephant in the room is, well, what is the harm? Now I say that and I am not pro childhood transition, but I, I'd like to just explore it.
2: Well, because I, I would not have ever known that. I, so, so if I, if I had transitioned in my teens, um, there's no, Or even younger. There's no way for me to have known that I wouldn't outgrow it. Um, you know, it, it's a very... It, it's also, when you're a teenager, you're full of all sorts of insecurities, and um, certainly a teenage girl, you know, is, is, you know, body dysmorphia is sort of par for the course of growing up. Um, so I know that I didn't outgrow it. I also wonder, although, like, again, I, when I encountered this, as you know even in you know at twenty seven there was still an r o g d type type response in me that I became obsessive and fixated, and whereas that wasn 't the case before for me, I was able to compartmentalize and live my life without any major mental health issues um, um, so so yes there there are people whose lives are dramatically improved by this, mine was um, but i don 't know that yeah I, there there's no way for it for a teenager to to know that there's no way f- that that children aren't going to grow up having been interfered with having their course of development you know their puberty interfered with at a time when when those those are normal parts of development that kind of put you know that 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 take you in the direction of a fully formed adult and if you step in and interfere with that physically cognitively socially um you're it's 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 a strange kind of of adolescent engineering that that cannot be undone and and I don't know why yeah And uh, do you think there was any other roads available to you? Thinking back, no. No. I mean, well, had I been had I been uh given uh like maybe a gender critical perspective, um, at that same time, you know, at 27, you know, like there's plenty of, see, I never, I was never able to use the word woman to describe myself. No matter, no matter how old I got, it sounded like a foreign weird thing. It just sounded so bizarre and incorrect. Um, uh, so I wonder, so when I think back and I think if, if I were presented with like, um, kind of this radical gender critical notion that your body is basically doesn't inform anything about you or, or how you live your life is like, I still could never get behind like feminist ideals and whatnot, because it seemed like those were for women. I was never one of them, you know, like, so I, I do wonder, cause I, I, I try to put myself back in that mind frame of like, what would have interrupted that thought process that fell entirely on transition. And I keep going back to, to those kind of, um, you know, gender critical philosophies. But again, I never con- could conceptualize myself as if I belonged in the category of woman anyway. So, um, so I don't know if it would have ever gotten through to me. And then also, with the inundation of transition, even if I hadn't you know gone down that road in 2010 2011 it would have been absolutely inescapable with the direction the you know culturally we've gone into so come 2015 2016 when it's you know all in your face i definitely couldn't have avoided it then like there's no way that i could have you know put it off and put it off because yeah it it was it only com- got you more feel and- it was
1: coming you feel you were going you were going to do it at some point
2: so so again like i all I was able to deal with it internally compartmentalizing it and not transition until it was presented to me externally. Right. Yeah. So what, what I mean is like, like even, you know, if, if I had gone off the grid at that point, I could have continued to, to, <laughs> to, 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 to compartmentalize it and not, you know, not that that was really on the cards, but you know what I mean? Like the, trans in the culture has just gotten more and more and more intense so there's no way so i think okay if i hadn't transitioned in 2011 2012 there's no way i'd be sitting here today still not have transitioned because of just how
1: and was there um, any was there any kind of for me there was a lot of internalized misogyny i believe yeah
2: yeah was there for you i think so i think so only the last couple years i've figured that out but i absolutely believe so um I remember growing up in a very conservative environment, you know, where, where I was supposed to be a wife and a mother and I couldn't conceptualize that at all. It was very much like the, the, the man is a breadwinner and there was very, um, very rigid gender roles too. And, and I could never, my mom and I are very, very different people. I never related with her. I related much better with my dad. There were just a lot of things that, that I think made the concept, the category of womanhood feel like a foreign territory for me, um, so, so I think yeah I, I think what was presented to me of womanhood externally what is what would we, I did interpret that with what we would call internalized misogyny yeah
0: oh there there's a lot of stuff that I want to ask you about, I mean, I want to just briefly go back to what you were just discussing, which is uh, the idea that it was almost inevitable for you to transition because the concept of transition just existed in the ether of culture. And I've heard clients who are let's say they're struggling with gender dysphoria and they're not sure they want to transition but like I've heard clients talk about feeling gripped and possessed by the idea of it. And like I've heard clients say, "I wish I had never heard that transition existed because now that I know it exists, it's really hard to like imagine not going down that road. And it's kind of like what I hear you saying, you even described it as an obsession initially. So there's something, there's something about the possibility of having something so drastically different. That reminds me of a lot of things. Like I can imagine that if somebody, and I don't want to say this is along the same lines, but if somebody is in a miserable marriage and they're not aware that there's such a thing as divorce, they're not going to think about it. They're just going to like drudge through the misery of that marriage. But if you learn that there's such a thing and you start researching it and you contact a lawyer who does it and it becomes a possibility, just like you meeting that trans guy a long time ago, you're like, oh my God, this is an actual possibility. So there's something very powerful about that. And I'm not not saying that's either good or bad, but it's just really noteworthy that having that within your purview of what's feasible
2: changes everything. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. It's um because it, you know it is so again going back it's difficult for me because it did it did it did relieve so much. I feel for those people who who you know who are detransitioned or who transition just did not didn't re- pr- provide the relief and now like they look back and they go you know that that idea had captivated me in such a way that there was really no way around going down that route or it was very difficult to not allow yourself to go down that route um but yeah for me for for me it did it it um it was such a relief it was um so i think that's why that's why it took me me a very introspective kind of person it took me a long time to think back on my transition critically because it was so it worked so well. Um, but now, now that I kind of see the harm that it's doing more broadly, you know, I, I obviously have to turn that lens back on me. It's like when I, you know, I, when I first transitioned, I, um, started using, uh, the men's, you know, serv- facilities, no questions asked. I didn't, I didn't have a, a moral dilemma in my head about it. You know, it just seemed like this is where I should be as a man. Right. Um, and then, and then when I and so when people were you know when you get the the um, uh, what I now know as um, you know the, the the pushback that a lot of women are having towards trans women uh, using their facilities. So at first when I heard that I, I, I had that same reaction. It's like oh that's just bigotry. They're just transphobes. You know. Um, And then when you explore that issue from their perspective, it's like, no, this is a very, very valid, reasonable concern and, and in a boundary that, that, uh, should be, should be maintained. Um, so I had then had to put that back on, on myself as well. It's like, no, I don't, um, I don't really cause any, any harm to, uh, to, to males in those facilities I'm using. Um, Least of all, without them, you know, knowing that I am female. Um, but but it's still it's the the ethical question still remains. It's, um, and so I had I had to reflect on that. And I, where I landed is like I still use men's bathrooms because I'm much less of a m- much less of a cause for concern in the men's va- bathrooms versus me using the women's bathrooms. That would not be appropriate. Um, but I don't use men's locker rooms anymore, like changing facilities. That's that's not a necessity. So I don't I don't use them. Um, so what but, do you use? Well, You're I would you, like if I would go to the gym. I, I change yeah. at home. Yeah, change and shower at home. That seems like, hard on you. I, it's not, I mean, especially honestly, Stella, I came to this conclusion during COVID, so I haven't yet to. Uh, <laughs> you know, this, this is a recent ethical. <laughs> <But> well done. <laughs> Conceptually. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Ethics
1: of this particular. I theoretically month. sacrificed myself here. <laughs> And you know what, it works on paper. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. But I love just, that. just could we pause on that for a second? Yeah. Because I, I don't believe we have come to any sort of resolution. And I think you're a very good example of, of that issue. And, you know, for all the shouting and, and all the kind of social, cultural wars that are going on online, the resolutions aren't being teased out because people are being silenced. And, you know, I think, I don't think that's a good enough, solution for you. And so I think, well, well, now we have a problem societally and we need to confront that and, and kind of grapple with that. I think that, that, that that's where discussions, thankfully we're discussing it freely here, but I think that's where we, we, we've we got to kind of come around to this this issue. I, I personally, I'm all for the third space, if you follow me, so that there's a, a female, a, a male and a mixed Do do you know what I mean? Because, for example, I I wouldn't just say for you, for for example, let's say when my my husband, you know, had we had the kids and he could never change their nappies. All the stuff about like when they were and that he couldn't, you know what I mean? It was always the nappy change. It was often in the in the in the ladies. And then then later on, let's say trying to go swimming and let's say my girl would be five and he's like, do I bring her into the men's? or do I bring her let her go into the girls on her own when she's 5 and just go swimming what the hell and now I know there's a lot of family rooms but I don't know there's there's it's there's a lot
2: really that's kind of very not really figured out I I have I've have a lot of thoughts on the on the facilities issue and first of all I don't think we'll ever solve it I don't think we will um because for so many um the bathroom issue isn't about accessing you know these services so much as they are public validation of an identity so um, uh, so so a lot of people are going to be opposed to the idea of a third space because it's otherizing them it's not allowing them into the category that they have sought to be um so so there's gonna be re- resistance to that third space option also code yeah well, I'm sorry. Oh I was just gonna say economically also it it does it seems <laughs> like not many people are gonna wanna wanna could there be
1: could there be pride in trans like in the future could, could, you know do you between twenty eleven and twenty seventeen did you wear it as trans I think you wore it as i'm a man as opposed to i'm trans could there be could there be pride in the future of i'm trans that's that's what i am and that's that's a pride and proud and noble position to take
2: in this Absolutely, for uh, female-to-male transitioners, I think that's entirely um, thing, and it actually, I think it has a lot of draw for for a lot of uh, young females. Certainly, is to be there is there is a lot of pride in in being trans, and I think there's also kind of culturally there's even um, a, a, a certain level of appreciation for it. Um, that, that doesn't, that doesn't extend to the, the, the female to male trend, or the, the male to female transitioners. And because a lot of that perspective is entirely 100% for, for one, for, for 24-7 validation of womanhood is that drive, or as I don't think, so for me, yes, I wanted to live and exist as a man, um, I wasn't ashamed of being female at all. It was, I was uncomfortable by it, but I wasn't ashamed of it. And acknowledging the fact that I was female didn't like shatter a, like an internal fantasy I had to maintain where it seems for a lot of male to female transitioners, that's the case. There can't be anything that kind of interrupts that, that concept of the self. as No reminders. No No reminders. No, no, no. Mm -hmm. Can't, can't have it. And so, that's one of the reasons why I think the, the the third spaces wouldn't wouldn't work out. It's like yes, for some of us we could we can find. I know when I first started transitioning, I did have pride in it. I was like, this is something I'm able to do. I kind of uh, uh, embraced it. But then as soon as I basically started passing, it was like throwing that side. I'm just a man, you know. <laughs> right. And yeah. so, but it, th- and then once I realized, wow, we've got some really ethically and medically dangerous territory we're getting into. I re-embraced that 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 trans uh, identification. Um, Um, What's wrong with trans? Why can't people just be trans? Like, I'm
1: trans. It's, you know, I know, I know it's not what they want, but Jesus, there's a lot of things we don't want, you know, Uh, and yet we've got to accept a God. I could, I could give you a long list of what I don't want about myself.
2: Right. Yeah. But it's just like this one thing we're allowed to, yeah. (laughs)
0: I think that's I mean, I think two things really contribute. I think, Aaron, you're kind of pointing to the type of motivation that often sits behind male to female transition being perhaps autogynephilia, which we have to cover on this show, which we really have danced around but haven't gotten to. And so I think you're right that there's this this fantasy that cannot be shattered by a fully accepting self of like, yes, I'm trans and I'm going to own that. Like, that's one thing. And then I think there's a second piece here, which is that there's a kind of belief system that includes such slogans as trans women are women and also There are probably trans men who are bought into that kind of belief system that see it as an insult to have to say, well, I'm going to use a third space. Like, no, if I identify as a man, then I am a man. And therefore I need that identity to be validated. So I think between the compulsion behind some MTF transition and this like new belief system, there's going to be a lot of pushback against the third space. Though, Stella, I get what you're saying, and I'm all about like people full embracing who they are, even if they fit kind of outside of this typical gender thing. But I think for a lot of people, those defenses are very powerful.
2: Yeah. And I think when, why I think it won't be solved is I think maybe we could have a cultural conversation that, that where, where we're able to compromise in this third space, um, uh, option, but, but I honestly think that we are going to wake up from this before that happens. Um, I don't think – that might sound really kind of um, matrixy.
0: <laughs> uh, I was going to say
2: controversial. What's up? Uh, optimistic? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I, I honestly think within about five to ten years, we are going to snap out of it. Um, We're going to realize what, um, what we've done um, to children – um, and I, I just and again, this might might sound I'm going kind of going in a dark direction here, but I don't think I don't think we're going to progress to to continuing to um, to to culturally facilitate transition when all the chips fall on the the, the vast amount of harm that's being done. Um, so I, I think that's going to happen long before facilities catch up to our current um, yeah where we're at currently, I guess yeah. There's no, there's no point to updating infrastructure when all of this has come, uh, come, come crashing down, is what I, what I see, I guess. Again, dark, but e- also Even optimistic. though it's,
0: it's dark, I mean, what do you, what do you think will happen I mean, when you say the chips are going to fall? I mean, Stella, Stella and I both say we think this is a medical scandal. I mean, we've been pretty explicit about this. Not transition in general, but specifically pushing childhood transition with no safeguarding mechanisms. But what do you think the fallout is going to look like?
2: I, th- I think I think we are we are approaching a, a tsunami of detransitioners, mostly vulnerable young women who have been harmed by. Um, uh, I think it was even Jokia Rowling who referred to it as basically um, a fad religion, medical you know medical negligence. Is, is, um, so there's going to be lawsuits um, I don't know what that's going to look like I don't know I think we're all sort of in this this cultish trance it's like a lot of people outside of it don't know that that's what's going on and they just think so, so one thing that I keep going back to is is most of this I think is facilitated by a conflation between trans and gay. And, and, and so people externally just see trans as the new gay and only a bigot would not, you know, affirm these kids and affirm these people and, and validate their gender identity because we don't want to be homophobes again. We don't want to go down that route. And so much is in that, is in that basket, that conflation basket. And, and people don't look too closely. And so, but once the detransitioners start, you know, these numbers are going to Exponentially uh, increase, and people will have to look at it for what it actually and they, is. They which might is,
1: even keep going. Sorry, oh, which,
2: which is what, what we've been doing is we've been taking perfectly healthy bodies and cosmetically altering them in the direction of the opposite sex. It's completely bizarre. Like it, if you just think about what we're doing, it's absolutely bizarre. But you know, for some people with with certain extreme you know mental turmoil about their sex, if it, it, for whatever reason, it works, but it's it seems to be just just a very bizarre way to handle it, and um, yeah, yeah. I feel like I feel like eventually we're we're going to wake up to it, and it's going to be the detransitioners who who wake us up to it is is what I what I project, and it's going to be within the next five to ten years.
1: And you know the way they say gay is you know or trans is the new gay, and people think that. I think there's a there's going to be an argument that people will be saying actually when we look at the. The arc of you know anorexia and then bulimia and then self harm, they're going to see that G D was on that arc. If you follow me, that it's oh, yeah. the new, it's the new body loathing. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's it's not. And I'm talking about specifically O G D as opposed to uh, mm-hmm. people who consistently want to trans.
2: But I, I just think there's so much overlap in between the, what we categorize as like the different types of dysphoria. I know for me there was a lot of overlap. Um, uh, you know, like we, we talk about how, um, you know, there's the HSTS, right? You know, and this, and that even this apparently affects, uh, females where it's like just like these, these, these young girls who are, are, you know, really uncomfortable with their bodies. They're very, very masculine. They're going to grow up to be lesbians both stella and i had very severe childhood or stella more so severe uh, gender dysphoria and grew up to be heterosexual like this isn't there there isn't you know and then there's the the ROGD thing which which again i had very much traits of when i transitioned i probably also could potentially you know i've like spectrum, you know, traits that, that like, there's just certain things that I see kind of little bits of everything that kind of lead to this, the destination that is transition. And it's, it's not as neat as, um, uh, certainly in females, it's not as neat as, as we like to present with these little, these little dysphoria categorizations and mostly it's, it's social and it's, it's, um, very, very often, not related to sexual orientation. It's um, a c- kind of social anxiety for the most part. I, like, there's just there's so much vagary around around what is transition, and associating it with homosexuality um, just seems really like not not really. It's missing the mark, I think. Certainly in, in females. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, I think the concept creep issue really comes into play here, and what we understand as being gender distress has really broadened to encompass such a broad range of individuals which you kind of alluded to earlier Aaron like there's a broad range of people who want to change their body for a variety of reasons and they're all being kind of gobbled up by this que- this question of gender transition when really we're talking about a such a disparate set of kind of presenting problems and conditions and experiences so um, I think you're right. And, and we do see that medical scandals happen when we apply a very particular medical solution to like a broad range of the population with no assessment to see if it's the right fit for them. And I think that's exactly what's happening.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love your, uh, your, your lobotomy comparisons that you've done. It's like, yeah, the, the same thing. It's like, we're, we're solving very yeah, vague, uh, nebulous you know, mental issues with, with a very extreme, uh, physical intervention. Um, and I I think we're going to look back at this with far more, um, uh, yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm getting dark. I'm going to stop on <laughs> my, my dark trains okay. of thoughts. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, in terms of like positive things, I mean, I would say the Gender Dysphoria Alliance is is a really great. Can you talk a little bit about that as we wrap up our conversation?
2: Yeah. So, uh, so Aaron Kimberly founded uh, Gender Dysphoria Alliance Canada, which was meant to just yeah tell stories of individuals with gender dysphoria, um, and and kind of show so you know show what that looks like without the the kind of um, uh, the the, the kind of yeah weird, sacred propaganda stuff that we attribute to trans and transition stuff. now and it's then, g- uh, gender
1: dysphoria without the religion
2: exactly, yes, yeah, just separate the religion, and just here we have this 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 mental condition um, yeah, but so Aaron and I connected just on that on that basis of wanting to be open and honest about what uh, what gender dysphoria is um, or at least for us and what we see, you know, reflected and, um, just kind of wanting to in, investigate these details and st- tell stories of adults with gender dysphoria, um, and, and do so very, very transparently. Um, and, and that's actually the name of the podcast we started as well, where we just talk to other adults with gender dysphoria or professionals, uh, such as yourselves. We'd love to have you on. Obviously we've talked about that, um, with, with, you know, understanding of gender dysphoria. Um, so that, yeah, it's called transparency. Um, but yeah, the the whole point is just to educate about gender dysphoria, to advocate for more um, evidence-based, um, reasonable, rational, not institutionally captured healthcare, um, and uh, yeah, just just do what we can as trans adults to uh, to shed light. Well, I mean, I hope that our
0: listeners will check out the podcast if they haven't already. It's really great. You have a very good interview with Mars, which I've referenced in some other conversations and several very interesting interviews. Actually, you guys interviewed Lisa Shoup, formerly Jamie Shoup, who Stella and I talked about in our non-binary episode. So for updates on Lisa Shoup, that's a great interview to check out as well. Yes.
2: Yes. Now actually James Shoup. Um, so yeah, yeah. It's a recent update of a a few days uh, so so yeah i we yeah we that interview with um uh with at the time lisa uh, technically james shoop uh he talks about about his experience with um with autogynophilia very openly very candidly he did so as well again with um with benjamin boyce uh, just a few uh, just a week or so ago uh i definitely recommend everybody um yeah check that out because that that is some really really valuable insight into um to the, that that uh that facet of male to female transition yeah, much respect. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, Aaron, thank you so much for coming on. This was such a lovely conversation. And definitely, we'd love to join you on the podcast with Aaron K So awesome. we'll, we'll make sure that happens.
2: Thank you so much for having me. This will yeah, be great. Very important. I love what you guys are doing.
0: Thanks for joining us this week on Gender, a Wider Lens. This podcast is partially sponsored by Rhyme, Rethink Identity Medicine Ethics. RIME is a nonprofit organization dedicated to improving the long term care for gender variant individuals. Visit rethinkime.org to learn more. If you
1: found value in our show, please review us on iTunes and subscribe so you never miss an episode. And you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Just go to our link tree. That's linktr.ee slash
0: widerlenspod. Our discussions are for educational purposes only and are not
2: intended as a substitute for mental health services.